world casts its eyes downwards, economically speaking, I want to know how can we look up to fashion? Where in clothing do we understand purpose and what are the stories that give this sentiment power? Season 11 of Style Stories aims to address these questions by delving into some of the soul-reaching stories coming from the community of Dress for Success Sydney, the not-for-profit organisation whose mission is to empower women to achieve economic independence by providing the clothing, confidence and community to help women thrive in work and in life. This series will continue to share stories of creative people with a strong sense of style, but with women who not only understand how we dress, serves a purpose to success, and are able to circle back to the significant impact clothing can have on confidence and community. Today, I'm chatting with Yana Mulyatina, owner and founder of consignment boutique What We Wore and volunteer stylist at Dress for Success Sydney. Yana's Russian heritage may be at the root of her style, but at the heart of her story is graciousness and gratitude. An unwaveringly positive self-belief, a hungry drive and a hand at hustle has determined Yana's success. And whether it be leopard print, diamantes, sequins or feathers, Yana proudly wears her heart on her sleeve and is never afraid to show off her confident style. I hope you can sit back, relax and enjoy listening to Yana's story. Well, Yana, thank you. I was going to say, not not joining me today because I'm actually in your space, in your gorgeous store in Clay <laughs> Thanks Valley. for joining me. Yes, exactly. Um, let's jump in. We're friends now, so yes. it's kind of a bit weird because I feel like I yeah. know you so well. You do, yes. Um, but you know what I don't know? I don't know how to pronounce your surname. Oh, my surname. <laughs> no one actually does, so you wouldn't be the first, but it's uh, Malutina. Yana yeah, Malutina. Ma- Malutina. Malutina. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a long right. Russian so, last name. So it is a Russian. It is. Surname. Yes. Okay. Yes. And do you? Does it have a meaning? Like, does it translate to? I'm anything? sure we are some sort of royalty, <laughs> like blue blood somewhere. <laughs> Sorry, no. But they haven't told me that. Right. Um, okay. So no, it's just it's a Russian last name. Um, we come from the very far east of Russia. My mm-hmm. family. I was born there. But our roots actually go all the way to St. Petersburg. So my great-grandma and her family were born and grew up there until she moved with her husband to the far east of Russia. Okay, so you were born... Yes. So tell me what the far east of Russia... Because obviously, in, uh, like in most Westerners' minds, you kind of think of Moscow exactly, and you yeah. think of St. Petersburg. And the thing is, I've never been and to Moscow. And then there's this huge country. Yeah. Yeah, and I wouldn't know what... You know, obviously there'd be a lot of diversity within that. Like Absolutely. So Different influences too. Yeah. So the part where I'm from, that's actually, Russia's got 11 time zones. So for me to get to Moscow is yeah. nine hours flight for us from okay. our time. So wow. um, I'm from a small town called Khabarovsk. It's on the far east of Russia, which actually border lines with China. So we're from the very Asian-y part okay. of Russia. Yeah. Um, borderlining China, then we've got Korea, and then we've got Japan. So there's actually a lot of Asian influence, right. like with food especially. Yeah. Like people from my um, part of Russia have a lot of, um, in, not English, um, sorry, Asian food, like Korean food, Chinese. We have a lot of restaurants like that. So it's very different to the Moscow part because that has a lot of European influence. Mm-hmm. And is, Even the accents. Is is Moscow considered more Russian than... Yeah. Yeah, right. And St. Petersburg, yeah. probably, I'd say. Um, yeah. Okay. So so you it was a small town? I think we have about a million um, okay. population, yeah. but it is considered quite... <laughs> for Russia, that's probably... It's quite small, small yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a major city in Australia. But the interesting <laughs> thing is it's on the same time zone as Sydney. Okay. Yeah, we're in the same time zone line. That's funny. Yeah. So tell me, what was what was life like in Russia for you? Yeah. How how old were you when you moved? So uh, I was turning twelve. Okay. It was six days. So your your pure childhood was yeah there in Russia. What did that look like? I grew up uh, like to a normal family. Really, Mm. Um, I have. 
I've gone to school there, so I did a bit of schooling. Um, I used to do all sorts of arts and crafts. My mum, you know, took me to an art school, um, which I did for a few months, and then I decided I actually wanted to do something with my hands, and I started doing little sculptures. So I took up classes in doing sculpturing. Um, I went dancing, I used to do dancing and dress up a lot when you know go up on stage and that was kind of like your first show um, experience and I used to study English because mm -hmm. I think my parents at that point already were planning to move so they kind of invested into me um, doing that and but of course you spoke Russian at I, home. yeah fluent yeah. Russian yeah. Um, I studied German as well. I don't think I was just as good at that though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, English was easier for me. I just, I was good at it for some reason. Yeah. Um, and so in Russia, you actually, the summer break is three months time. So I remember spending all my um, summer holidays with my grandma mm -hmm. who actually worked in a department store, the main department store in our town. And I spent a lot of times, a lot of my time there during the holidays with her, helping her. And, and what department was she in? So she was actually head of the warehouse. So she was behind uh, the scenes, yes. but she was the main manager there. Mm. Um, so everything that went out into the stock, like on the stock on the floor, mm. depended on them. So they used to do the buying and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so she used to give me little jobs, like she'd write out the price tags and I'd put them on, um, on the staff and everyone knew me around and you know the new me is Ludmila's granddaughter which yeah. is really I felt I thought I was you know special yeah I was like I'm the boss around here <laughs> but um no it was great it was a lot of fun yeah and did you was there a lot of exposure to fashion through the department store or absolutely yeah I just yeah I walked around like I owned the place really mm. but also my parents used to have um a retail business okay so I guess I grew up around that environment mm. where my parents used to travel um, for buying trips. Right. Um, first it was Korea that they used to go to. Um, my dad would go and bring me all the nice, pretty presents that no one else had, you know, the toys. Because when I was growing up was, you know, it was like early to late 90s. Mm. So Russia didn't have as much to offer in terms of, you know, technology, the textiles, the clothing, the fashion was very, very different. So they didn't have that exposure growing up. Um, so it felt very special when dad would come from his buying trips. And the first thing I'd be like, what did you bring me in your suitcase? Because um, at that stage you were an only child, right? Yes, I was. Yeah. Yes, those yeah. were the great days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you get all the presents yeah. um, and all the clothing. And yeah. so they did they, you're saying before that the food was influenced by Asian cultures. Were was your, like your parents' retail store, were they bringing that Asian influence into Russia through clothing or? So at that point, China has become this big mastermind behind all the productions. So yeah. this is, you know, from Korea, um, they then started going to China. Mm -hmm. um, it was mostly sports gear that dad used to, because that was dad's thing. He, I remember dad always dressing up in something sporty and he always had some sort of Nike shoes and he still does to this day a cap and like sport shoes is dad's signature look yeah. and that I guess he kind of followed his passion yeah. for fashion. Um, it's very normcore isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Do, do you know what normcore is? No actually I don't know well, but I'll just laugh. Yeah. It's just a trend um, that kind of operates on that American sportswear model uh, uh. where you kind of it's like the the kind of defining image of it is Jerry Seinfeld, you know? Like, right, yeah, yeah, okay. Is that, is that what your dad used to wear or was it a bit more like NBA kind of? No, like, pretty much Seinfeld. Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. definitely that. Yeah. Um, I guess we didn't have all that media and we didn't have the magazines and that influence. So you kind of just, I guess you were figuring it out as you went. Mm. Um but I remember being little and going to work with my parents and at some point they're like, oh, can you just look after the store really quickly? We're just going to jump out and, you know, I don't know, go get a lunch or something. And there I am, 10 years old, literally sitting in my parents' like shop, mm. you know, and looking. And I, I was just fascinated with it. I loved it. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I'm curious to understand the culture around fashion in Russia mm. while you were growing up. And just to understand, like, obviously there's some associations with what 
Russian fashion looks like now. Like a lot of leopards? Yeah, some leopards, <laughs> you know, sequins, sequins yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, like the, the <laughs> yeah, Yana's just touching a, the, a rack of um, sequins and pink uh, feathers, and feathers <laughs> of, of garments that I think she loves that, uh, that are in the store at the moment. But was that like, is that what your reference points were growing up? Like in looking at the department store and thinking about the fashion there, I, I imagine it was quite different. I can see how people think that leopard and all that is, you know, very Russian, like yeah. red lips and a yeah. lot of jewellery. I see that. Yeah. Um, but for me, I just remember, I looked up to my mum a lot when I was growing up and I think my sense of style and fashion came from that. I just remember my mum, you know, sitting down and doing her makeup before we went anywhere, whether that was just going to the supermarket or to the doctors or anywhere or dropping me off to school. We always, you know, I was getting my hair done and my grandma would plait my hair. I'd have some sort of bows in my hair and then mum's doing her makeup and then she was always dressed up. Mm. She was always very presentable. Her hair was always done. Her makeup was always done, nails. Um, she always wore high heels. My right. mum always wore high heels yeah. um, and a skirt. Right. So I remember looking up to her and thinking like, oh my God, when I grow up, I want to dress like my mum. <laughs> um, and I think that sort of does resemble of how I dress now as well from, yeah. you know, always making sure my hair is done, oh, my nails. always immaculate. Well, like. I kind of have to, seeing as, you know, I have a fashion store. Um, but I think it's a big part of self-representation and it's a message you send out to the world. Was it part of, do you think there were some cultural elements of being Russian that kind of determined that you did have to, to dress up as soon as you walked out of the house? Russian culture is very much about self-representation. You have to kind of put your first, you know, best foot forward. You have to always look presentable. Um, Why do you think that is? I'm not sure. Mm. I don't know what it is. I think maybe because we didn't have all those nice big flashy things. So we didn't have big exposure to a lot of clothes because then again, like fashion wasn't so big in Russia at that time in the 90s. Um, you know, that wasn't very far from when USSR broke down and we didn't have access to all the international brands. It was only in the early 90s when mum and dad got into it is when they started bringing stuff from overseas mm. so before that you only had what Russia was kind of creating um, so I think people were just making do with what they had and you know looking sharp and presenting yourself in the best possible way was the way and also I don't think everybody had access to that I was just lucky to grow up in a family that had access to it because of grandma's um, you know work and the um, department store mm. so they had access to the expensive perfume the makeup and mm. stuff like that and to us it doesn't seem like you know like you walk into a department store and go by it wasn't available back then so mm. I think we had that early access which made it so much more special yeah so Yana you were talking about yourself as quite a creative young person but I think so yeah. Russian culture, from my exposure to it, because I've grown up around some Russian families, yeah. is that they're quite rich with kind of other creative cultural phenomena, like poetry and theatre and music. Yes. How did that play out in your upbringing? Uh, well, at school you have to learn poetry, so you have to... <laughs> it's part of the... I guess, the school program. Uh, you, you study everything in school, actually, in mm. Russia. So you know how here you have elective subjects? Over there, you don't get to choose. You do everything you do. For <laughs> Whether you're musical or not, you still do music. You yeah. learn to play an instrument. I left by the time you had to do that. Um, but yeah, I think Russian heritage, you know, the royal, and like, if we go way back. Yeah, history, yeah. I, yeah, I think that does have a huge influence on the sparkles and the feathers and the colours. So it's a history. Um, I think it, it's very beautiful. I've never mm. been, but I, you know, from the pictures, from the stories my grandparents used to tell me, I think I would hold a much, like more value to seeing that now. I think mm. when I was a kid, my mum always promised to take me to St. Petersburg. Mm. You just, 
I think the way you absorb that information and the way you see it is completely different as an adult versus a child. Yeah. And I think I'd have a lot more appreciation for it now mm -hmm. um, than I would have if they took me at 12. Yeah. Um, but absolutely, I think Russian, you know, heritage, the story, the history, sorry, I think that has a huge impact. In your household though, was that something that like was lived out? Like did you practice poetry at home? Like were you, in the Russian family that I was very close to growing up would have these like dinner parties but everyone would have to act out like different characters and it seemed like it was very much part of their community to, to have these kind of creative uh, outpourings of their stories and their history. Was that something, I, I don't I don't know if it's um, single to that I don't family think I or? I don't, yeah, I don't think our family was very much like that. But what I do remember when you started talking about this is yeah. um, my other grandmother on my dad's side, she had some cousins and every time there would be some sort of big celebration, like a birthday, they always dressed up and acted mm. out and did some really funny scenarios and yeah. jokes and there was always music, somebody would be playing, um, What's that instrument called? Accordion. Yes. Yana's um, <laughs> doing the action of an accordion. <laughs> um, and they were always fun. They were always creative. Like that was a creative outlet. And even when I was growing up, I used to love putting on those little shows for my parents. You dress up and you put something, you know, like a grandma's scarf or you dress up in your parents' clothes and you um, put on a show for them. We, mm. I used to do that with my cousin. Absolutely. I think it carries through the generations. Yeah. But... I think it does depend on the family you kind of grew up in. Yeah. So you, you said before that, you know, you you were taught English and you feel like your parents were starting to kind of pave a way to leave Russia. Yeah. Tell me what happened. I don't know. I just blinked and I was in New Zealand. <laughs> uh, no, so my dad went um, before mum and I did. Okay. But at the time, you kind of don't talk about that kind of stuff. Um... It was very hush-hush. I didn't know where my dad went and they said it's New Zealand and I'm like, I don't know where that is on the map mm -hmm. or what language do they speak? But within those two years, so I saw dad once um, and they didn't really open up to me. I was a kid. I don't think I was understanding what was happening. I just knew dad went somewhere so that we could potentially have this new life. Mm. Uh, How come it wasn't spoken about? Is, was that political or um, it... It just, I just, you don't brag about that kind of stuff. Oh, it felt like um, bragging. Yeah, and right, also okay. you don't want to jinx it. Russians yeah, are right. very big on their superstitions. And I'm so Greek. I totally, yeah, you yeah. can't pass me a knife. Like, a, yeah, yeah, or kissing <laughs> over, you know, the doorstep <laughs> or gifting somebody a watch yeah. and things oh, like that. Yeah. Um, and so one day, mum sort of announced it to me that, hey, pack your stuff, we're moving to New Zealand. And, at the time, again, I still didn't know where it was on the map. Um, I didn't know, I didn't understand what that meant. Mm. Like, you're moving. I just treated it like a holiday. But I remember packing my suitcase like a month before we left. And um, I was packing everything. I'm like, well, they probably don't have these shops. So I probably should, you know, buy this, like my favorite chocolate or mm. my favorite perfume. They probably won't have this there. So mm. you are packing for something you don't really know what it is and as a kid you don't comprehend the I guess seriousness or the enormity of it yeah the fact that you're actually about to have a completely new life mm. um well especially if it's not something you know I think these days it'd be quite different right like it, you if you 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 weren't kind of conditioned to prepare for it to, not at all to start to think like you know and well you probably didn't have access to things like we didn't have the internet New Zealand looked like you know we didn't have google uh earth where you can zoom in on the exact spot that and you're gonna be like, living in and you know kids <laughs> listening to this podcast now they might be like what do you mean you didn't have internet but we did it yeah. you know like i remember my friend just what when was this what, what this you, was 2002 but in russia you like where you were you didn't some people did some yeah, people right. did okay um and it was considered like the rich people had the yeah. computers and internet my friend a family friend had a computer I'm, i remember playing like the solitaire whatever the thing that the games that it came with and i'm like yeah. whoa this is so cool <laughs> um but no like this was before dial-up came to russia you yeah, know right. so some may not be able to relate to this but i remember what it was like so I only had encyclopedia, really, to yeah. be like, oh, there's New Zealand on the map somewhere. <laughs> yeah, so so you get on a plane. 
Yeah, we pack and we get on did the plane. Did you say goodbye to your friends, your grandmother? Like, did you I did. I, lo- I wrote a little love letter to a boy I had a crush on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yana, why does, knowing Yana, this does not surprise me at all. <laughs> She'd be a little minx. It was really Asian dramatic. Girl. It was so dramatic. Well, you're Russian. It's and I'm dramatic. like, I, I still remember what I wrote in it. And it was like, by the time you read this letter, I will be gone. <laughs> And I was. <laughs> yeah, it was a one-way ticket. Have you ever heard from him again? Uh, yeah, actually I did. Yeah. I, re- I reached out. I-, I still speak to some of my classmates. Oh, that's nice. Um, which is quite cute. It's interesting to see where people went and moved. And I, I wonder, you know, I ask my mum this quite often. I'm like, what do you think, where, would, where do you think I would have ended up if mm. you guys didn't bring me to New Zealand? Because my life would have looked so different. Yeah. Um, and mum says, I think, She's very adamant that I still would have moved somewhere. I would have been in well, Europe or something. They like were travelling a lot, right? So you saw your parents kind of, you know, move around. Mm. I'm sure that like, I, I would be convinced that you would end up kind of following at least their footpath and Probably. then being exposed to different parts of the I world. I would have done something curious, to do with right? fat retail, I'm very sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah. we, you know, we got on the one-way ticket and I said goodbye to all my friends and I'm like, I'm going on this adventure into this unknown and I have no idea what that looks like. Mm. Um, and I'll be honest, I did not like New Zealand for the first few years. Mm. It was very... Do you think it was... Traumatic, like the, that was the word I was about to use. Mm. Yeah, it was traumatic. It just felt like I was ripped out of this environment. Everything that I knew, it was very stressful for me. I didn't, you know, even though I went to a special English school and I was a top A student, I couldn't put a sentence together. Mm. It was a culture shock, and everything was new. I, I didn't understand what they were saying. They were talking so fast, and. Um, it was a lot of adjustment, you know, and then I'm going to the school and I have to wear uniform. I never had to wear uniform before. Mm. Um, yeah, um, you know, I, I would go to, so, like, I would go to school and I'd get all this homework and I had no idea what it meant. Mm. I'm like, well, what is a poster? Yeah. Um, it's actually quite a funny story. Um, we got this assignment given to us and I didn't know what, like, it's a piece of paper and it says, make a poster on what funky is. Fungi, fungi, <laughs> fungus. I'm like, I have no idea. Still don't have internet at this stage, right? I don't have a computer. No, I did, sorry, I lied. I had a computer, but no internet. Right. All I had was the encyclopedia on a disc. And I'm like, I don't understand what this means. Mum and dad kind of like translate this to me, so I'm just going to wing it. So I searched it up and all this big article came up on what fungi is. Yeah. And I, um, just went print and I was like, well, we're going all out. We're printing in colour, double pages. <laughs> I stapled it and turned up to school. And um, I think I, had, I built a lot of resilience and my mm. confidence had to, you know, had to fake it till I make it um, at so that you, age. Because I, I was going to ask, what was your coping mechanism for, um, for that change? If you couldn't, if you were feeling like you couldn't communicate as well as you would have liked to in the world that was now around you, mm. How did you combat that? Resilience and just going with it and being, just putting on this face front. Like, mm. well, yeah, of course I wrote this whole assignment overnight in, in printed in full colour, even if it's got a reference down the bottom. Yeah, I wrote it. Um, I just had to go with it. Yeah. And so you didn't retreat inwards, you, you just went... I stuck to my story. Yeah. She's like, you wrote this? I'm like, absolutely. I can't really speak English, but yes, I wrote this whole article. <laughs> Where do you think you've... Because, yeah, it, to know you, Yana, nothing's changed. Um, <laughs> but where do you think you found that strength from? I think the immigrating to New Zealand had a huge influence on that. Mm-hmm. Um, because my parents were still very young because my parents had me young. Mm. Uh, they were married at 18 and had me at 19. Right. So they were kids themselves. Mm. Like they were almost my age. Uh, by the time we moved to New Zealand and started this new life. So for them, they were growing up too. Mm. So I didn't think they knew how to parent in a way. So we were growing up together and it just, I felt like it was me against the world at mm. that point. Um, so you just stepped up. 
I did. Yeah. yeah. You just do what you got to do. Um, you don't dwell on it and you're like, all right, this is my new life and this is how it's going to be. So yes, I wrote this assignment and now I go to the school and... Did you get an A? <laughs> no, they failed me. Because <laughs> I saw what a poster man. Um, but yeah, still stuck to my story. I'm like, well, prove me wrong kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that resilience and that spirit in me still... Yeah, it's very much built into me yeah. um, because that's what then carried me through to my next journey yeah. moving here as well. You just had to have this element of self-belief um, because no one else is going to, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just embraced it and I realised at that point, well, we're obviously not going back to Russia, so I have to make it work. So I, I've made friends who would then help me and correct me. And I think that's how I started learning English. Mm. And, but then again, like this was intermediate. This was last year of intermediate. So now I have to do this all over again, just as I'm kind of settling in, I have to start high school. And there's a whole bunch of new friends yeah. and a whole new system. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until we went back to Russia three years later when I was 15 that I realized that I've had it really, really good. And I, that's when my gratitude to my parents came through and I'm like, all right, this is home now. Right. So what, As in New Zealand, being home. Right. It, so culturally, what did you feel the most in terms of the difference? You feel very isolated as a kid too. Like, you know, I went from having a group of friends and fitting in and being able to do and explore and do all these things to having to adapt Mm. um, new culture, new ways of life, new ways of school system, how everything was very, very different in New Zealand. But what were the things that were most salient to you? Like, um, was it the food? Was it the fashion? Like, was there there particular things where you were like, oh, I like, this is very different. I don't like it. Everything. Just everything. (laughs) Everything. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, It just flips. You know, because um, I don't know any different. Yes, I've well, you know I've been to, at that point. I've been to Japan and stuff, but it was more familiar rather than going to this English-speaking country. Mm. Um, the fashion, yeah. I actually at that point I remember, you know, in Russia I had the best of everything because my dad would bring me these beautiful clothes, and I stood out and I was always overdressed. And then I go to New Zealand. And I feel like that part of me got hidden away a little bit and I wanted to fit in. All I wanted to do was fit in with all the other kids, so I wanted to dress like them. Mm. Um, did the uniform help with that? It did, yeah, I hated the uniform. Yeah. I hated the <laughs> shoes that they made us wear, but yeah, it does. You know, you, you have Mufti Day and I, I dreaded it. Mm. I'm like, I don't know, because we didn't have the same access to clothes and money wasn't the same because you're an immigrant now Mm. and you have to work for your money and my parents didn't have the same resources that they did in Russia so it was a bit of an adjustment it was a very different lifestyle that we had to adapt to and I had to adapt with them and so did you want to just be very plain in your clothing all of a sudden yeah 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 I didn't want to stand out I wanted to fit in. I wanted to dress like the other kids. You know, they have those oh, they have those ridiculous rubber shoes. They were so big. They were too big for your foot, but everyone had them. And I'm like, I need to have them. Like the, Dr. Martens, that kind of um, thing? Called, they used to be called the shark or something. I still remember shark shoes. Okay. And my parents would laugh. I'm like, you guys don't understand. Like, this is what the cool kids wear and I need a pair. <laughs> um, or, you know, the Jansport backpacks. I'm like, everyone's got one. I gotta be like the cool kids. I mm. gotta have one. Like that's Did they your, get you one? Yeah, they, like they, they, yeah. they finally got the one. <laughs> and what, were they still in the rag trade when you guys went to New Zealand? No, or that was it. they just have to start again? That was it. And yeah. Dad went into um, building. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. So it was a bit of a career change for him too. So when you went back to Russia and you say that you, you know, you kind of realised how you, you found gratitude for your parents' experience of, you know, moving into New Zealand. Mm. What was it about going back that made you grateful? What, what did you realise that they were trying to do for you that you might not have? So it was three years mm. since we um, left mm. and I had this certain image of Russia. I had it painted in a certain, like it was a certain memory mm painted in these beautiful bright colours. Um, 
you know, my friends were there and I thought everyone was, you know, I thought things haven't changed. Mm. And then we landed there and I remember getting into my granddad's car, packed with me, mom, my sister, my grandmothers, mm. like all of us with our suitcases and driving past all those places I remember as a kid growing up and they were so big and spacious and the buildings were so tall and all of a sudden they're not. You know, mm. whether I grew a little in size, but still it was a shock to the system that what you remember isn't at all what you remember mm. as. And that was quite a hard pill to swallow. Mm. Um, and then I remember bursting into tears being like, mom, I want to go home because all of a sudden New Zealand is a beautiful, bright country. And I realized that that's home for me now. Yeah. And she just said, tough, we've got another month here. <laughs> um, and I've never been back since. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um, and but you've still got family there, like I do. I have yeah. a grandmother. Yeah, oh, over there. She still works actually oh, in the still, department store. Yeah, uh, not you, the same department store. Yeah, but she still works in fashion. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> do you miss her? I do. Yeah, yeah. She's um, she's great. She's a lot of fun. I'm very close with her. She's my mum's mum. Yeah. Um, and she's come to Sydney to visit oh, me. Right. Yes, I brought yeah. her over, and I wanted to show her all the beautiful places in Sydney. Mm. Um, to my new home, um, yeah. yeah. So, you let's go back to you. You're in New Zealand now. You're like a you've established. You're happy to be there. Um, you're getting into your kind of late teens. You you went to university in New I Zealand. I did. Yeah. When did you start to find your colour again? Um, I think soon as we came back from Russia. Yeah. I embraced that element. And something changed within me. Um, it was that shift, like, okay, this is home now, but this is where I'm from. And I'm very, very proud of being Russian. Um, my heritage, where I'm from, that I grew up there, I still speak it. Um, so at that point, I realized that I'm probably never going to fit in and be like everyone else, so I might as well just stand out, you know. Mm. Um, at that point, I already had some friends as well in high school, and I think... They were Russian too. Mm -hmm. We got to stick together. But um, having that like piece of home was enough. Yeah, yeah, to just come to terms with, well, I'll never fit in into this environment and these groups, but I can still express myself through the way I dress. And at that, in the last year of high school, you actually get mufti every day. So that's oh. when I started, you know, wearing, experimenting with my style and yeah. wearing things. And like what, can you, can you remember some outfits that like you loved or that? Yeah, they were a little bit over the top. <laughs> I was just over, always overdressed. Yeah. Yeah. And what did that do? Did that shift your popularity? Like, because uh, I imagine, well, we yeah, were just known as the Russian girls in school. Um, I think we were just intimidating to everyone as well. Yeah, right. Uh, not that we're scary or anything, but... Just exotic. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good word. <laughs> exotic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so when did you come to Sydney? When, when did you start to put the footprint here to make it feel like home for you? So I finished high school. I finished university. I did a marketing and advertising degree over there. And I, my first job was in media sales. I worked for a newspaper. Uh, I always had this dream of working for some fancy, cool magazine and being a stylist or something, but it wasn't really spoken of. And nobody really said, you know, yeah, you can actually have fun and make money in that industry. So I just did what you're supposed to do. I went to high school, went to uni and did a marketing and advertising degree because it was really interesting to me and I loved it. Mm. And it was three years into my job and I was traveling to Sydney every couple of months and I loved it. I absolutely loved Sydney. Sydney had this what beautiful energy right. about it that for me, New Zealand didn't have. And I felt very ready to jump into the next step. And I remember saying to my parents, I want a challenge and I want to take myself out of this comfort zone. I'm ready to do this immigration 2.0 again mm. on my own. Mm. Um, so I got a one-way ticket and told my parents, uh, quit my job, two suitcases, and off I went on this plane mm. on the adventure. I, I just had no idea what was you know, ahead of me. Mm. And that really excited me. Mm. I wanted to experience that again, but on my own and prove it to myself, still got it. You know, I can do this. Yeah. 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 
And so you had all that confidence and that, you know, that outward get up and go. I was just really, really confident. Mm. Like something, in, you know, deep in me, I knew I couldn't fail. Mm. I was just so determined. The determination of me making it in Sydney, however way that looked, was stronger than anything else. Where like did you land? Power. Like where, where were you when you first came to Sydney? Where were you staying? And... I, one of my best friends, um, actually she was from the same city as I was in Russia and we met in New Zealand. Her parents were friends. So we grew up together. We did a lot of exploring and, you know, figuring it all out together. You learned to ride a bike, both of us. Um, so Casey lived in Melbourne at the time and I said to her, I'm coming over, I'm finally doing this. I got my one-way ticket and you're coming to stay with me for the whole week. We're moving to, like, we're moving me to Sydney together. Mm -hmm. And she came over, we met in the airport, um, which was very exciting. So it wasn't like, you know, walking out and there's nobody. Yeah, yeah. Um, so she was there to greet me and we stayed in a hotel for the first week, lived it up and I got an apartment um, and it was three months until I could get a job. Right. I ate through all my savings <laughs> uh, and I remember the phone call to my mom saying, mom, I've got $300 left in my bank account and I either buy my one-way ticket to come back to Auckland and live with you guys again at 23 or um, it's going, I'm going to get a job and I'm going to get this job mm. and I'm going to pay rent for one more week but yeah. I'm staying and I'm like, and I prefer that option. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was. And what was your mum's attitude? Was she like, go for it? Mum was always supportive of me. Yeah, she was very. She wanted you to fly. She yeah. was in my corner, and I think mm. that has to do with her bringing because she didn't get that same opportunity. She wanted to be a flight attendant mm. when she was growing up, and her parents said no. You know, you should get a degree, get a real job. Um, so I think she's a really big advocate for everything that I do. She's always in my corner. Whatever idea I have, she's like, go for it. I got you. Mm. So, and I'm, yeah, I'm very grateful for mum. And short, like it wasn't long into you like being in Sydney that you started to connect with Dress for Success, correct? It was a couple of years in. Mm. So my first couple of years were tough. Um, I couldn't find my way here. So I got a job. I left the job. I was again out of a job for three months. So it was a bit of a roller coaster. But the determination in me, this fire and this voice in my head, I'm like, you're going to make this. Like, I'm telling you. And, and there was just, I don't know, call it naive. Was I oblivious to it? Maybe. But I was very, very sure of myself. Like, there's no other way. Mm. Like, you don't have a job? That's fine. We'll just get on a one-way ticket back to Auckland right now. We'll get a job. It's fine. You know, Um and I got a job offer as I was boarding a plane. Mm. This guy calls me, he's like, hey, come back for a second interview. And I'm like, um, yeah, here's a thing. Uh, can we just make it a phone call? And he's like, well, are you coming back? And I'm like, well, give me a reason to come back. You know, so you just had to be ballsy. Mm. You had to hustle in a way. I'm like, well, what, what have I got to lose by asking these questions? And he's like, all right, well, I'm offering you a job. Come back. And I'm like, okay, I'll come back. And I did. Um, so it's been a roller coaster for a couple of years while I was trying to find my feet. And I wanted to do something differently. I wanted to do something that, you know, set my soul on fire in a way, something that I was passionate about. I didn't know what it was at the time. I just wanted to love my job. Um, and it, I lost that job that that person offered me. And it was five months and I was going from interview to interview. Mm. And people were telling like recruiters or companies, like, sorry, you didn't make it this time. You have too much experience. And I'm mm. like, I'm 25. How can I have too much experience? Mm. Um, or you're too this, you're too that. You're, you're not enough experience, you know. And it was, it was soul destroying in a way because a lot of people are like, reje it's, it's rejection, right? Mm. Nobody likes rejection. It's hard. And that's when I came across Dress for Success. Mm. Um, I remember... In one of my roles, one of the editors that I worked with mentioned something to me about Dress for Success and I don't remember how I just had this drive in me, this energy to just pick up the phone and call and book myself in and I called Dress for Success and I'm like, hi, I want to come and find out how this works. Mm. Um, and I did my shadow session and I loved it. I, it was... It was a very beautiful experience. Um, 
while you've got this situation in your own life and you're trying to figure out what you're doing, I wanted to go in into an environment where I was just giving back to somebody but not really getting anything back. I just wanted to help someone else. Mm. Um, I felt like that would be the experience that would help me find my own way. Mm. Um, Why? It's, it's very noble but it's not usually the first port of call for most people's thinking mm. when they're in a time of like almost, not crisis, but in a time of heart, things being difficult, not having as much security. The first instinct isn't necessarily, I'll go help someone else because that, that's going to help me. What, what was, I don't what was know. the thinking? I don't know what it was. I yeah. just, I guess I always liked helping people. Um, I didn't know what was going to come out of it. But then after my first session, it was such a rewarding feeling knowing that I made an, a sm very small impact on someone else's journey. It was giving me the security that everything's going to be okay. Do you think it was also that connection? Like you, because you weren't able to start really laying down roots in one particular job, like it, it, that's what it sounds like, mm. that actually then having that kind of strong connection with another human and having that impact. Was you wanted what to relate to someone else. Yeah. And for me, I just thought, well, if I can't help myself right now, maybe I'll be able to help someone else mm. a little bit on their journey. Yeah. And it was very fulfilling. It was just feeling this void in me that I didn't have. And in a way, it was also reminding me how good I actually had it. I'm like, yes, I don't have a job, but I've got my family and I have this and I have an apartment and I've got a roof over my head. And it just, it keeps you humble mm. in that time as well. Yeah. Um, and so you have been a volunteer stylist with them for, what's what, what is it? Like Over eight years. Eight years now. Eight, yeah. eight to nine years. And what's like the most remarkable thing that you feel like you've seen in that time? There's been a lot of stories. Mm. Um, clients come in and they share their stories and, you know, half the time you're in tears with them. Mm. Um, everyone's story is very unique and individual. Um but you feel very honoured that people feel comfortable enough to share that experience with you. Um, there's been many stories. Um, you know, whether it's a domestic violence case or they're going to court to get their kids back or something, you know, like they lost their house or they're immigrating as well or they're refugees. There's, every story is so unique. Um, and I feel very special being part of that and knowing that, you know, I took a very small part on their journey, but just helping uplift them and get them one step closer to their dream, new dream life. Mm. It's, um, I'm honoured, really. Mm. And you... You, your style probably um, is a little different to some of the other volunteers. Yes, <laughs> a little bit. Do you want to just uh, kind of give us a run through of, of what that is? And in that, what you get to offer, like your own stamp of style that you put into the, the, the clients of Dress for Success. So I actually have a styling certificate. Mm -hmm. It was one of the things I did for myself when I started volunteering Dress for Success. I realized that my passion lied within retail or fashion, styling, something to do with clothes, and I did a course. So I actually have a certificate um, in styling and did I- it ever, Sorry to interrupt, but did it ever resonate with you at that time that you were throwing back to your childhood? No. No. No, it wasn't okay. until you asked me. Then yeah. I'm like, <laughs> well, actually, yeah. Um, so, when I go into the showroom, I guess my approach is firstly, I probably pick something that I would wear myself. Mm -hmm. Which would be what? Colour. Pattern, colour. Yeah. Um, skirts, dresses. Um, I like to push the boundary with the clients, but just enough. Mm. You know, I do, I am, I do understand that. When they're coming in, they're so vulnerable and they're scared and whatever lies ahead of them is, a, you know, it could be very difficult. I just want that experience to be fun. Mm. So in that hour that I have with them, I want them to forget what they're going into or what's happening in their life. Oh, let's just have fun. Yeah. Let's just treat this like we're a couple of girlfriends going for a shopping trip, you know, to the department store. Um, and that's how I approach it. I want it to be fun. I want it to be a memorable experience. And I 
want to inject a bit of positivity into their life, a bit of confidence too, because a lot of clients lack that when they walk into those showrooms. And I want them to feel relaxed and open up to try things with me, mm. which is when I sneak in, you know, something pattern. Or <laughs> I'm like, I know you said you don't do colour, but can I just do this for me, you know? So twofold you're trying to give them a bit of yana. So a little oh, bit yeah. of that wildly optimistic self-belief yep. and, and a little bit of the yeah. colour. I'm like, you got and, this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And obviously, dress fix, dress for success Sydney has done a lot for you in terms of you know your sense of um, contribution and connection, like you've been saying. Mm. But it's also helped you establish this business, this amazing business that it we're sitting did. in right now. Yeah. So tell us that story. Yeah, look, I'm very grateful for my association with them. Um, in a million years, I didn't think this would lead to this. Yeah, um, I just really enjoyed styling, going in on the weekends and playing dress up. Mm -hmm. playing personal shopper to someone. Um, so it was 2020 and this thing COVID happened and no one knew what that meant. But I understood that Dress for Success were losing their regular sales, like not donations, but you know, when they run their- um, they Do the fashion events. Yeah, like the, the fashion, fashion events frenzies. and this is what helps them keep the doors open. So. I reached out and I thought, well, I can do my small part. Um, it'll be fun for me to do this. And I reached out to the wonderful ladies and I said, hey, I know this is a bit strange, but hey, can I come over and pick out some clothes that I think I could sell and we can you know, make some sort of money for yeah. you guys, whatever it may be. Yeah. And I did that um, and I remember taking photos in my spare time, like after work or on the weekends with my friend and she's, pose this way, do this, you know, she was my photographer and I was learning about my, you know, posing. Stance, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do I make the clothes look good? And we had a bit of you fun. You do have a particular stance I now. do. I, I figured it out. It, yeah. I figured it out. It's taken a couple of years, but we got in there and it was just, you know, it was an opportunity to hang out with my friend. Yeah. Um, and wear, wear some nice clothes, yeah. Wear some nice clothes, play stylists, play dress Some of those donations up. are amazing, right? Like, oh, some of the beautiful things that come yeah. through that, yeah, it's yeah. it's awesome. So we did that and we did that a few times over. So I started an Instagram page, came up with a name, slapped a logo on it and, you know, just decided that that was going to work and I was going to make some money for Dress for Success. And So what was your following like initially? Like how quickly did it grow? A couple of hundred yeah, and right. then thousand. Um, a lot of the Dress for Success volunteers were really big supporters because they knew they were giving back to a cause, mm. um, which was wonderful. And I was forever grateful for that. Um, and then I just started blasting them, you know, on Instagram and finding my way and figuring out how things worked. And then we did that again. And then we did that again. Um, and I had a lot of fun. And I realized that that was just that was my moment of setting my soul on fire. I was doing something that I genuinely enjoyed. Like when I did it on the weekends, I didn't feel like it just flew by. Yeah. And it brought me so much joy and I was doing it for a good cause. And we, we raised, I think it was about six, six and a half thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, and at that time when Dress for Success didn't have another means have to be able to do that, that would have been like quite a decent chunk of money for them, right? Hopefully, yeah. 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 Um, I, just, I was just happy to do something and help in the way I could. Yeah. Uh, and I never knew it would lead to me then having a shop, you yeah. know, and sitting here with you having this conversation, <laughs> but very grateful. Yeah. Like, I have so much gratitude. So when did it shift from being something that you were doing to support Dress for Success to you going, you know what, this is a business model, I'm going to I'm gonna make this? Not long ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I had a full-time job mm. um, in marketing and I was doing that and what we wore was on the side. It was always a side hustle. But deep down, it made me so happy. And I was doing, you know, pack orders in the evenings, um, be doing my photos on the weekends. Like during my time selling on Instagram for um, Dress for Success, people would reach out to me mm. and say, hey, like, do you sell for others? And my initial response would be like, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah we're big, like we're the real deal. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, one client after one client. And then the clientele grew. Um, so did the following, so did the admin and the clothes. 
it was all in my living room. Um, <laughs> I've seen the photos. I've shown the photos, yeah. You know, um, and at that point I'm like, I kind of need to make a call here because mm. I have something that I absolutely love and I realise that this is my passion and it makes me so, so happy. Mm. I want to do this. Like, why am I doing something else? Um, and at that point I've been doing marketing for like over 10 years and I think I outgrew that and... It was my, you know, it was the, the situation of my living room at that point and I couldn't keep up. I couldn't do this on the side. And I had a career coach mm. who was very wonderful, um, Nikki Taylor, and she said to me, as long as you treat this as a side hustle, as a side business or a hobby, it will forever That's be that. It's going to be, yeah. And it just struck with me, you know, I'm like, I need to make a call here. Let's just do it. Let's jump out of something you already know and established and let's just do something completely crazy and change careers mm. um, and it was at the end of last year that I quit my job yeah I walked in in a red suit into my boss's office and I said hey it's time for me to go yeah. so I handed him my resignation um, and jumped out without was a red suit I'm curious was a red suit like something that you would have worn every day to work or was that really intentional I, no not on that day but yeah. it felt like a great day to do it I'm yeah. like well I'm wearing a red suit seems powerful ballsy move let's do it so I was like well oh, it's it, I love you Yana. <laughs> and I'm still wearing red yes <laughs> yeah. um, so let's talk about what we wore so it, it's gone from being something where it's literally stuffed into your living room to now being your own standalone store I in Clovelly. Is this real? <laughs> How does that feel? Incredible. I, it, it's surreal. Mm. I still feel like, like I'll wake up and I'm just going into a meeting somewhere. Yeah. Um, every morning when I drive here, I never, call, I don't like calling it work because this isn't work for me. This is, mm. this is my playground. Yeah. This is my outlet and, you know, I get to still meet beautiful clients and I get to keep that, you know, one-on-one -on -one interaction with people. They take me on the journey yeah. um, when they come in, whether they're shopping for their birthday, their kid's graduation or their wedding. Um, the kid's bar mitzvah. And that, yeah. <laughs> it's, I just love being part of that, you know, and they come mm. in and I'm like, how did that go? Um, I'm invested in my clients' lives just in a different mm. way now and... I, I'm so grateful for this, for having the space. Um, I didn't think I'd be here. And so when you're consigning, how much of you is in the selects? Because just to give the audience <laughs> some context, we're in Clovelly, on Clovelly Road, and it's becoming a bit of a... Um, destination for consignment shopping. So there's one consignment store that's been here for a very long time, another that is quite well known, and there's you. But I think the beauty of this strip now is that each consignment store has quite a different, different offering. Yeah, Absolutely. different offering. So tell us about what your offering is and how much of your aesthetic, your sense of style is in the way that you select the clothing. Because to me, I mean, I'm looking at a pair of leopard print boots and then a pair of sequins. <laughs> the Russian in me. <laughs> and some feathers. Like there, there is a lot of, and knowing the way you dress, which yeah. is confident and um, stand out and glamorous and very polished. Overdressed, always overdressed. <laughs> um, I can see your footprint in here, but you, you explain to us. Uh, well, that's my approach to how we take on the consignments as well. And it relates back to how I work with clients is, you know, back at Dress for Success, would I wear this myself? Mm -hmm. um, I also do consider, you know, we all have different tastes, so I try to cater to that, to other people's um, styles. Um, I love colour. I love sequins and patterns. <laughs> and I think the way we dress or represent ourselves should be colourful and should be bright and we're sending out a message. So... Hence all the colourful patterns around here. So for us, um, we, my approach to this is accessibility as well. Mm. I think secondhand fashion should be accessible to people. Um, it doesn't need to cost a bomb and you can dress really well. You can get something that still has a tag for a fraction of the price. Mm. And that's my approach to it as well. Because um, you also, if, if we do look at some of your competition, 
your price point is a little more accessible. I think so too, and that's yeah. the feedback we get as well. Um, the best feedback is when people say, wow, I love how much colour you have in here. You know, it's such a great selection, the selection of brands as well. I don't have this certain, you know, like this is my brand list as such because yeah. I just want to see what's out there. I want the exposure to all European brands and people love that. The variety in the, the branding, the patterns, the colourways, people really like that and I, that feedback is the best thing really for me yeah um so you've had a business coach yeah um and that's kind of supported you to get to this point what what lies ahead do you think i'm super excited about the future um this store came about really randomly at a point in time when i needed it the most and i just went for it i'm always open to new opportunities. I love networking with women. I think there's not enough networking groups or support, you know, women supporting women. Um, so I'm very excited about the project we're going to do together. Um, and also just... Should we give the audience yeah, a little okay, let's do it. That was a little tease. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, it actually, it kind of lends back to how we met. So Jan and I actually met when I was doing the event for Dress for Success. A beautiful event too. Um, you were volunteering. I, no I noticed you straight away because I was like, oh, she knows what she's doing. She was she, wearing a red she skirt. She was wearing a red skirt. She's on brand. <laughs> <laughs> and you were just, you know, you were so positive. And what I didn't know was that you were the face behind what we wore. And I, I saw that you were promoting the event. And I was like, who's this girl that's like doing so much to promote my event? It's so lovely, but I don't know her. Um, and then that's obviously when we're connected. And then well, I came up to you and I was like, excuse me. <laughs> but you were so gracious um, and, you know, obviously very supportive on the day. And then I our... was just lucky to be there, you know, <laughs> at the right time. Our friendship and our connection to Dress for Success has grown since then. Yes. And we've presented at a conference together. And How um, fun was that? Yeah. I really enjoyed showing the stage with you <laughs> but it made me go mm, you know I've been doing what's these events. next what's next and you were talking about maybe doing a dinner here and mm. so we thought let's do it together yeah it sounds like a good idea so and here we are planning our yeah. event yeah so we're looking at end of August yes. uh, to have a beautiful curated dinner in the store in Clovelly. Surrounded by fashion. <laughs> we're surrounded by all um, Yana's colours and glitter and feathers. But it's a chance to come and um, get some of your style questions answered with a group of like-minded like women. So that's the plan and we'll yeah. keep you Girls posted. night. <laughs> Shop and sip. I want to go back to your grandmother in Russia. Yeah. What does, what does she look like these days? How does she? She's very beautiful. Um, she's got blonde hair. Mm. And, yeah, she's always overdressed. She's always wearing some sort of glitter or leopard. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, she's very beautiful. I spent a lot of time growing up with her and spending time with her in, in that department store. Probably one of the best, like, childhood memories for me. Yeah. Um, that's how I earned my ice cream money. <laughs> um, yeah, you don't she's... look like you eat a lot of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I do. Oh, my gosh. I need to sponsor me. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm very close with her and we speak about it all the time. And I, she's also been very supportive. On the times when, you know, some people may have not understood, you know, we're heading into recession and you're about to quit a full-time job and a paycheck. Um, she was always very supportive and I'm just very thankful to them for that support because, like, you know, when you've got that little piece of doubt in your head, there's someone in your corner saying, like, you got this. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm very... And now you're doing that for other people, you know? It, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm very lucky that I can do that. Um, so when you are your grandmother's age, do you think you'll still be overdressed and standing Definitely. out? Definitely. Yeah. Still be wearing red nail polish or something, like that, or red <laughs> lipstick. Um... I think so, yeah. I, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, obviously my style has changed and evolved and how I express myself and how I dress now is probably a little different to how I dress in corporate. Mm -hmm. Still was very overdressed. Yeah. Um, but being in a store, I can experiment a lot more with all this beautiful clothes I have around me. Um, I think I'll still be classy, mm -hmm. you know, keeping the chic a little, but... I wonder if I'll still wear heels, though. I'm not sure, <laughs> but 
I think I'll still be very overdressed. And just a little bit of sexiness, like the little round. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> bit of attitude will always be yeah. there. <laughs> for sure. Well, thank you so much for thank joining you for me. me. And just for being my friend. <laughs> friends forever. No, thank you. I, um, I'm very touched to be on this podcast. <laughs> so thank you for choosing me. And mm -hmm. thank you for being here. It takes a special person to offer help when they're seeking it themselves. But for Yana, her service to DFSS has not only honed her styling skills, but helped spell out the pathway to her own success. Yana's forte in retail may have been set out from the start. However, she continues to keep things circular by offering consignment, recame clothing, both kind to climate and community. Like Yana, what we wore combines luxury looks with an accessible attitude and the moves to influence you. And while you might be attracted to Yana's Russian flair and to the shininess of her style, it is Yana's kindness, consideration and care that will keep drawing you into her store and her story. To learn more about how to become a volunteer and help drive the success of Dress for Success, visit bit.ly forward slash volunteer with DFSS.